Good morning. You can hear me. Brilliant. I want to start by asking you a question. I want to ask you a question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not who do I think you want to say or anyone else might. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you think he's a fictional character, no better than Bugs Bunny? Do you think he's a teacher, a historical figure, a really good teacher, maybe even a prophet? Or do you think that, and do you say that Jesus is God, the Son of God himself? You see, the Christmas story, which we're going to look at in Matthew 1 today, is absolutely critical to our understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who came to save us, save us from our sins as we've wonderfully sung. But he's also Emmanuel, God with us. God in his infinite wisdom decided that as part of his redemptive plan for us to save us from our sins, that he would involve humans. He would involve you and me, which is incredible. And of course, the Christmas story is the fulfillment of this. When Jesus comes and takes on human flesh, which is incredible. So I'm going to read from Matthew 1. It should come up on the screen. Please, prayers with me. I've had a great enthusiasm today of to choose a passage with lots of difficult names in. Um, so just giggle through. I'm just going to say it quickly, and hopefully if it's incorrect, you won't notice. And they're going to pray after. So reading from verse 1, I'm going to read the whole of chapter 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotun, Jotun was the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, and Amon the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Iliud. Iliud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we have sung and we've just read about the the wonderful birth of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. And I just pray that as we unpack this from these verses, you would speak to us powerfully through the Holy Spirit. Lord, let what I say that is of value and is of you really connect and lodge with people, I pray. And I just pray this is a fantastic time of digging into your word and really learning more about you, I pray. Amen. Great, so I'm relieved. I've got through the list of names. Um, I've got a session booked in next week with Duncan to go through all of them I got wrong. Uh, uh, So just so you know the direction of travel, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at Jesus the Messiah. We're going to look at Jesus Emmanuel. And as part of that, we're going to look closely at the story of Joseph, which I'm really excited about because I think Mary gets a lot of showtime at Christmas, which is great. Um, But I think we should look at Joseph because that's what's in this passage and from the lens which we see the birth of Jesus through. But first, we're going to look at Jesus, the Messiah. So I don't know if you noticed when we read those verses or if you saw on the screen, this chapter could not be clear, clearer about who Jesus is. This chapter starts with Jesus, the Messiah, then gives loads of names to show the lineage um, from Abraham to David to the Messiah. And then ends again by declaring he is the Messiah. Verses 16 and 17. It then, in verse 21, we see again, it doesn't use the words Messiah, but it, it essentially is saying Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior, the one who will come to save, has come to save people from their sins. And Matthew builds his case in this chapter, kind of on two, two things, which are in the Christmas story, which are really, really critical for us to look at today. So the first thing we're going to look at is the, the genealogy. So you might, you might have read through this chapter in your Bible in a year or just heard it at things like this and thought, do you know what, it's just a jumble of names, kind of, what's the point? Well, there's actually real, real value in, in looking at why the names. So you see at the beginning of verse 1, it talks about Abraham and David. So Abraham and David are significant people within the Bible because God made covenants with them. So a covenant is an agreement, a promise. The only, the only kind of contemporary relevance I could think of of what a covenant is to explain it is sometimes when you want to do something to a really old building or house, you can't because there's a covenant in place that was decided in 1435 that this house must only be used for this. Um, this is the kind of strength to that kind of agreement. It's long-lasting. It's really hard to change. And Matthew makes clear in this chapter that the covenants that God made with Abraham and David could only be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So let's look at those covenants. Let's look at what, what were the promises, what were the agreements that God made with Abraham and David. So we're going to look at Genesis 22, 
verse 15 to 18. It will come up on the screen, but you might want to flip, flip to it in your Bible. And we're going to read from verse 17. So this is God speaking to Abraham. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What an incredible promise. He said to Abraham, through you, your stars will be, you will have descendants as, as many as the stars, as, if not more. You will possess the gate of your enemies. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What an incredible promise that was made to Abraham. Let's look at the, the, the promise that was made in the, the Davidic covenant. I'm going to read uh, verses 2. I'm going to read a bit to us, but it should come on the screen. So this is God speaking again to David. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. These are eternal promises. Eternal promises that God's people will rule and reign. That their enemies will be crushed and they will no longer stand before them. Incredible, mighty promises that Abraham and David couldn't realise. It says in these verses themselves that we read, through the seed, through your descendants to come, these promises will be realised. The, the, the verses we read about David talk about David... David dying, David lying down, not being around anymore. He, he was not the one who was going to realise these promises in the true fulfilment of them. But they both point towards that there would be one who would come that would be a direct descendant. Now, if you look at the Luke account, uh, that gives you the, the direct lineage from, from to, to Mary, which is really important. But it's also significant for us that this chapter provides the lineage from Abraham right through to Joseph. It shows that connection that points out and screams to us that Jesus is the one who is the Messiah that was prophesied. And this is really important for us to, if you like, it's like a tick. It's like when you're looking for who the Messiah is, this is a moment of, and you've got to remember these were written hundreds and hundreds of years before people were waiting for these people thought that David was the Messiah they thought he was the one who was going to realize all of these things imagine the despondency when he died thinking oh crumbs we've got to wait for the next one and when Solomon came and oh it's not him either this 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 is a, a fulfillment of that promise which is really important but there's a second thing for us and I think sometimes this is really overlooked in Christmas. We, we look at the virgin birth and a nice story and a nice nativity and we lose some of the theological value of it. It's significant. If it did not happen, then we're all wasting our time because Jesus isn't who he said he is. But thankfully for us, he is. And we see that it's verse, 20, uh, verse 23 of Matthew quotes Isaiah. I'm just going to read a couple of verses, um, and this is cited in, in Matthew, it's cited as the Lord through the prophet. So this is God's plan. When Isaiah speaks and the other prophets speak, they're not speaking as Isaiah. Isaiah had a great idea. Jeremiah had a great idea. They're speaking as what God has told them to communicate to his people. So we're going to look, because this was many, many years before. 
a prophecy about what he would look like, the, the true Messiah, the one that was to come. So I'm reading Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. And Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We have here a virgin birth. I don't know if you noticed in the genealogy when you were reading through that all of the women that are mentioned as mothers, it, it refers to them as by, by Bathsheba, by Tamar. But when it comes to verse 16, it doesn't, um, it doesn't refer to um, Joseph in the relationship as the father. So there's always this relationship throughout the genealogy of a mother and father, a mother and father, or no mother, but a father to carry it through. But when it comes to verse 16, there's a, there's a subtle difference, which is really important. It says that Mary, by Mary, but it doesn't mention Joseph unless, other than in the context of being Mary's husband. This is the virgin birth. This is what they had been waiting for. This was a sign screaming out to them of this is the Messiah who they had been waiting for and who he would come and we see in verse 18 and 20 don't we that the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is the person that 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 helped Mary conceive baby Jesus and this explains to us which is why it's really important that Jesus can be fully man yet fully God because he carried Mary's humanity and he carried the Holy Spirit. Both two things that are mysterious to us, that, that are really hard for us to comprehend and understand. But this is the Messiah. We shouldn't be surprised that he is unlike any other, that he is special and different. And of course, this is just the birth. This is just about the story of Jesus coming in this way, where these two clear signs clearly show us that he is the Messiah that was prophesied about. But if Jesus just stayed a baby, that kind of only does half the story, doesn't it? Okay, he came in a really cool way, a marvellous, miraculous way. But actually, how does that go on? How is he our saviour? And we know as we read through Matthew, and as we've sung today, that Jesus went on to live a life of sacrifice and service that ultimately led to him laying down his life on the cross, despite doing no wrong, and never sinning, taking on our punishment for all of those that put their faith in him so that we might be saved, so that he might be the Messiah for each and every one of us. And I think that's incredible and shouldn't be, we shouldn't dull that down in the Christmas story. It's really significant. So be in no doubt today that Jesus was and is the Messiah. There is no other way or path. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, doesn't he? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way for us to be saved from our sin and our shame. Be in no doubt about the significance and importance of the virgin birth and the Christmas story in this. Because if these things didn't happen, if they weren't true, then we couldn't have been as sure as we can be today that he is the Messiah. 
And I want to propose three applications for us today from, from this first looking at Jesus the Messiah. I want to encourage us to keep Jesus as, as our Messiah and Saviour. So easy, and the Bible speaks so much about us creating idols. So easy to replace him as the one that saves us. Now the act, once we've come to God in faith, we've confessed our sin, repented and trusted in what he's done on the cross for us, that's done. We don't need to ever doubt our salvation. But we can creep into places where we replace him. Now what happens when we don't have enough money to pay the bills? What happens when our loved one has fallen desperately ill? Who do we turn to? Do we turn to Jesus as our, as our Messiah? Or do we turn to ourselves? Do we turn to political leaders? Do we even turn to church leaders? I think of it like this. I love mince pies. Absolutely love mince pies. I love the departures. So serious, tense, you know, people taking it in. And then someone mentions mince pies and there's a chuckle. I love it. Um, I love mince pies, I do, unashamedly. But there is one mince pie which is the best. It is the all-butter mince pie, okay? Now, I'm a cheapskate, so I buy the cheap ones from Tesco's because I want to save myself money. But there's nothing as good as the real thing. So I would encourage us with this ridiculous analogy. <laughs> Today, let's, let's choose the real Messiah. Let's choose the real Saviour. Let's look towards him rather than other, other replacements which aren't going to be anywhere near as good. Second encouragement, I want, I want to encourage us to keep Jesus as the object of our worship. For who is like him? We talked about this unique birth. You might think, when you think about the Christmas stories, the, the shepherds coming to worship him, the, the free wise men as we've been doing in kids, that came to give him these, these wonderful gifts. Why? Because they saw who he was. They were in awe of the Almighty One who'd come to save us. Let's keep remembering to, to keep him as the object of our worship, particularly over Christmas period where we, we, we rightly relax and we, we enjoy other festivities. But let's set aside time to do that. And finally, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice that the Messiah has come and that he will return one day. The story was not complete by the virgin birth. The story wasn't even complete on the cross or the resurrection. It will be finally complete when he returns. And for that we can rejoice, particularly this time of year. So Jesus is the Messiah, but you might ask, why did he come in such a common and unglamorous way? I mean, you think, think for a moment to yourself. If you were planning that the Messiah of the world, who would come to save us from our sins, he would come, you probably wouldn't have planned it in the way that we've heard in this story, but also the broader Christmas story that we know. You might put him in a palace. You might have given him five or six personal maids to make sure that him and his mother were looked after during the, the birth and the, all of that. Well, no, it wasn't. We know that. We know that the majestic Messiah came in a very lowly, common, but deeply profound way. And I think that this chapter tells us why, why that is. Verse 23 describes Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us. You see, the amazing truth of Jesus' birth is not just that he came to save us from our sins, 
but he he also involves us in his plan of redemption. This is how it's always been, because that was God's choice. One of the most profound messages I've ever heard from was a chap called Mike Reeves, who started his sermon with um, something like, God doesn't need you, God didn't need you. He was powerful and wise enough to be able to find a different way. But I think as Jeff prayed, but he chose us. He chose to involve us out of love. And this is how it's always been since the, the beginning of creation. Adam and Eve, they were made in God's image. He imprinted himself upon them. And he has on everyone else that has come. We've looked at the covenants with Abraham and David, two men that God, God, God used mightily, that he blessed. We also see in the genealogy, so it's not just to prove that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and David. Look at some of the names. These names have been carefully and intentionally and deliberately included. It is incredibly rare that any women would be mentioned in a genealogy. Yet four women are mentioned. Maybe not four of the women that you might have thought. Two prostitutes are mentioned. Tamar and Rahab. Someone who committed adultery, Bathsheba. And a Moabite woman, a foreigner, Ruth. Yet God used these wonderful women and used these wonderful people on this list because that's what he does. He includes us. He is God with us. He includes us in his plan. And what do all these people have in common? What do all these people have in common? Well, I think this morning I put to you that they they were all flawed. They were all broken and they were all sinful individuals in need of a saviour. Yet they were also characters who showed great faith and obedience in God and the Messiah to come. So they were able to play incredible roles. Encourage you to, to, in your downtime over Christmas, go through the genealogy and just read some of the the bigger passages um, about the stories of these people. But I want to focus on Joseph. I want to sit in Joseph because that's, that's in this chapter, the lens which we see it through, the birth of Jesus. And I just, want to, I just want to tell it as a story, first of all, before we even try and draw out any application. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes this morning, okay? You are betrothed. So very, I, I, I don't know anyone who goes around these days saying I'm betrothed. Um, in, 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 in these times, there was a very uh, unique, I would say, method of um, getting to the stage of being married. So engagement would often happen when they were children. Parents would agree and say, you know, you're from good stock. My, my son would marry you. Um, then they would enter another period where they, they would, if you like, uh, appropriately court. But then they would be betrothed, which is actually, it was a year-long period, which was essentially marriage. So you hear he has to, he has to divorce her, or he's suggesting divorcing her. So they're, they're, they're bound... But there's no physical relationship at all during this period. I suppose to, to test the strength of their relationship. So you're in that position. Joseph is in this position where his, his, his wife-to-be has come to him and said, Look, Joseph, it's going to sound nuts, sound crazy, but I'm pregnant. 
I mean, can you imagine what, what was going through Joseph's mind of, well, I only know one way of how this happens. You must have cheated on me. Yet we're in this period. We're in this period of betrothal. What on earth is going on? He must have been heartbroken, surely. He also must have been very distressed. When you read through the laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the punishment for adultery during this period was stoning, stoning to death. The woman he loved, he would surely have to, have to confess this, make it public, and have her stoned. Yet, yet he's described as righteous. I can only think that his love for Mary, his love for her, his care for her, meant he graciously decided upon a path of quiet divorce. Yet no, this divorce was still public. It wouldn't have been in the middle of town, the town centre of Fareham, but there still had to be public witnesses. Imagine the, the shame and the disappointment that he must have felt. Yet then he has a dream. What do we dream of? We often dream of stuff, don't we, that's going around our mind. It must, have been, it must have been just, what do I do? What on earth do I do in this terrible situation? And yet then an angel appears to him in his dream. And says to him, what's happened? The Holy Spirit has impregnated Mary. Marry her. She's not crazy. She's telling you the truth. And the account as we have it, he was obedient to God's command. He just went off and did it. I think in Joseph, it's a remarkable, remarkable example of the type of people that God chooses to use. I just want to draw out a few things from Joseph's, Joseph's behaviour. He was righteous with Mary, wasn't vengeful. I would have been furious. <laughs> I would have been furious. Yet that doesn't come across. His care is actually to look out for her and try to deal with it in the best way possible. He was obedient to God's word. Wow. Just went with it. Yet knowing the obvious cost. He knew there would be a cost involved. People in the village would ridicule him. Probably be disgraced. You know? Imagine telling that as a story to your friends. But he was also righteous to Mary. Did you notice? He didn't sleep with her until after the birth. He didn't say, right, God, I'll go along with it, but I'm now going to enjoy the benefits of proper marriage. No. He knew that something important was happening and he didn't want to get in the way of that process until Jesus had been born. Joseph was an ordinary man who showed extraordinary faith in and obedience to God. And just like the characters in, the, in this genealogy, and Joseph particularly, this is what God looks for in, in us. Faith and obedience. So if you're a broken, flawed, and sinful individual, hallelujah, because God can use you. God does use you. That's what he looks for, faith and obedience in us. But know this, it often comes at a cost. Joseph sacrificed much as we've looked at, as did Mary. 
haven't reflected on Mary, but quite rightly, the story is told from her perspective. Just imagine the costs that they faced. I know looking around at people in the room, friends that I have and stories that I know that there's a cost that often comes to being faithful and obedient to him. Might be a financial cost. Might be friends. I remember in my old workplace before I worked for the church, just two jobs back actually, just in case they listen. Uh, my first job. Um, they, they just didn't get me. They thought I was absolutely nuts. They used to refer to me as going to a cult every week and giving my money to a cult. Now, most of that was, was good-natured banter, I like to think. But there was a cost. And I know I, didn't, I, know I haven't suffered. I haven't felt that cost anywhere near like what Joseph and Mary would have done, like people that live across in other parts of the world, some of the projects we support, where literally for them... They can be chucked out of villages. That's the cost. However, I put two things to us. Firstly, that God with us, there's never a cost he hasn't known. There's never a cost he hasn't carried. I find that so, so comforting in my life. That God could, have, God could have made in his infinite wisdom a redemptive plan that didn't involve the Son of God suffering. He could have done that because he's God. He can do anything. Yet we know the cost that Jesus paid. And not just on the cross. This was a man who was ridiculed. And his followers, I think all of his disciples died, didn't they? They were martyred, most of them. Yeah, significant cost. And for most of us in our context, thankfully that won't involve to that degree. But like Joseph, we should be prepared to sacrifice and to take the cost. But I also want to absolutely leap off of Jeff's sermon from a few weeks ago. I can tell you with full confidence, not from me, not from Jason, but from Scripture, any sacrifice you make in this life will not compare in any way, shape or form to the inheritance that you will have in heaven. It won't. Absolutely but what about now Jesus has gone? You might say, well, you've talked about it before. You've talked about when he came, but he's not here anymore. Uh, I am aware of that. But he talked to us wonderfully about what, what actually happens. So how, how is God still with us? We're just going to briefly look at that before I, I conclude. And it's through the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that impregnated Mary is the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about. And I'm just going to read a few verses from John 14. So this is Jesus speaking. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth whom the, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he remains with you and, you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I have said. God is still with us through the Holy Spirit. He dwells within each and every one of us that knows him. So he's still with us. He's still comforting us. He's still supporting us. He's still using us. And I just want to end with this just amazing, breathtaking verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. And I've, I've built it up, so I hope it lands. <laughs> For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God, God's building. We are we are God's fellow workers. 
wow. Wow. God has always been with us. But in the Christmas story, it's wonderfully culminated that Jesus took on flesh. So just to conclude before then giving some responses. So we're going to have a couple of people, and I'd love it to be a time of prayer and response um, for us this morning. Um, but just to kind of, I suppose, headlines of, of, of my talk, just in case you've forgotten. Rejoice and worship because the Messiah has come. Let that be your first thing I, I pray this Christmas. Such a challenge to myself in amongst all the festivities. But let that be the first thing I pray that we do this Christmas. Majestic to lowly. Yes, him who had it all. All power, all might, all knowledge chose to come. Come to us in such a lowly way, but such a profound way. Rejoice because God has always and will continue to use faithful and obedient servants in his redemptive plan. And I want to encourage you, as I've said, to set aside time this Christmas to dwell on this wonderful truth. So can I, um, this is a bit off the cuff, but uh, Jeff and Laurie, could I have you uh, over this side, please? Is that all right? I don't know what I'd have done if you said no, no. <laughs> Uh, John Allison, could I have you on this side, please? So I want you to think about, this is three responses today. I think there is a slide for this as well. Is, it? is there a slide for this, Johnny, I think? Three responses that you might want to, and I really want you to, you know, there's not a pressure to respond, but I think let's use the opportunity when we've got brothers and sisters here that love to pray with us. Firstly, you might want to respond to say, Jesus is your Messiah. You might, not through me, but through the Holy Spirit, have had a moment this morning where you're like, yes, he is the one who came to save me from my sins. You might want to, if you like, declare that again. You might have had a, a troubled time over the last year and say, yeah, I want to I come back and change your position before God, if you've made that declaration. But you might want to come before him and say, yeah, I want to declare that to you again. Perhaps you're struggling with the cost of following God. Why don't you take the opportunity to come and pray with these wonderful people and get some prayer and support for maybe the cost of you following him, things you're struggling with. And finally, maybe you want to come and get prayer for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in all believers. He is the seal. But perhaps you want to have a, a new, a fresh filling today. So I, I, I pray. Can the band come up? Please, they're going to lead us in a song. So if you're not responding to prayer, please join in with a song. But while they get ready, I'll pray for us. And then, yeah, just head over to one of these uh, lovely couples. Father God, I thank you so much that you are the Messiah. I thank you that you sent Jesus to come. And that that wasn't a panicked action, that that was always part of your carefully orchestrated plan that he would come, that he would redeem us, that he would die on the cross for us, rise again, and return one day to lead us into that eternal paradise. Thank you that you have done that. Thank you that that was your plan. Thank you that we can have confidence in that. And Lord, I pray, thank you so much that you use people like me. Thank you so much that part of your redemptive plan was to dwell with us, to use us. 
And I just pray that that would encourage us. I particularly pray for brothers and sisters here today or online that might think, how can he use me? How can he use me? I've got nothing to bring. I pray against that, Lord. I pray an encouragement to them this morning to say that all they need bring is their faith and obedience to you. And you will use it mightily because it's all about you. And Lord, you are the one we adore. You are the one that is so precious to us. We thank you so much. Amen.